the last straw was she called my son in Vancouver, who I'm not talking with and haven't talked with for about four, we have four or five years. And she called him to talk to me, to get help. And he did. And I'm on the phone with him, drunk, but still, Larry, is that really you? Mom, you gotta get help. This is Holly. A year ago, Holly's life was in a downward spiral. Her alcohol addiction had taken over and she was estranged from most of her children. She would soon lose her job and her daughter was about to move out and leave Holly on her own. And that's not easy to do, to, to trust, when you still have a vision in your brain of how bad your mother got. You know, walking in the bathroom and finding me on the floor and not knowing what to do, calling the ambulance. Holly's addiction took her job and her home, and it almost severed her relationship with her daughter. Thankfully, Holly's story doesn't end in the back of an ambulance or on the floor of her bathroom. Today, you'll hear Holly's remarkable journey of transformation and find out how your gift gives hope to Holly and others like her. I'm Brenton Dreger, and this is Hope Stories. For Holly, family turmoil early in her life set the stage for her struggles with addiction. I'm a card-carrying Canadian military brat. <laughs> My dad was military, and uh, we started out just outside of Ottawa, then posted to the Yukon, and then back to Ottawa, and then France for four years. And um, that was rough, moving around a lot. It was great, you know, we got to see all the castles and you know, go to Cyprus and Spain, camping in Spain and Italy, and fond memories there of all that traveling. But Dad's an alcoholic, and it was pretty rough, a double-edged sword kind of thing, right? Her relationship with her father brought the most pain growing up. Add to that the culture of alcoholism that had strongly taken root in her family. Dad was inappropriate. You know, um, I, I mean, if, I was, if he was to hear that, he'd probably deny it, of course, but uh, it was a lot of humiliating times like that and the belt came out. Oh my God, the belt. And it was very dramatic and traumatic. My Baba, my dad's mom, was kind of like a bootlegger out of Hamilton. Yeah, she sold, uh, she had her own little bar in the kitchen and, but my dad, my dad, of course, the oldest of four, two boys, the other two are dead from alcoholism. Really? My grandmother died of alcoholism and diabetes. Mm. She didn't take care of herself, yeah. My brother died of alcoholism as a secondary at 47. Wow. So it's, uh, I'm the oldest of four. Mm -hmm. I have a younger sister who's 11 months younger than me. And I have two younger brothers. Well, one's dead now, but uh, I still have Peter. Holly got married at 19. She met her husband after her family moved to Cold Lake, Alberta, where she graduated in 1980. We got married, posted to Quebec, and posted to Cold Lake. He was an air traffic controller and then posted to CFB Greenwood, Nova Scotia. And we broke up there. So I packed up my two kids in my 1982 Delta 88 Royale. And I drove all the way back to Alberta. Dad says, come back home. I went, okay. <laughs> so I drove all the way back from Nova Scotia and I went 1990 and I went, I've been traveling for 30 years. No more, I'm staying put. While being back home in Alberta was a comfort, dealing with a young family, a divorce, and a painful childhood pushed her to alcohol. Yeah, the alcoholism is not good as a single parent, and I was a progressive alcoholic through the whole thing. And then 10 years ago, it really kicked up. I had no kids to raise. 
And I guess the pain of everything, I don't know, was catching up to me and I didn't know what to do with it all. And uh, yeah, I drank more. Things fell apart for me uh, around 2010, 11, my brother died and my alcoholism got me. So I went to Ontario for a bit with my sister and mom and stuff. But I missed Alberta. Those are my kids there, my car. And so came back and uh, lived in Fort Saskatchewan for a bit, got a job as a dispatcher. But before that, I was actually a legal assistant for defense counsel for child welfare. Mm. Did that for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, then I dispatched for a while and I, it was in Sherwood Park I got the job. So then I moved to Sherwood Park and I just loved it there. So I um, was there for about eight years. Holly kept working a few different jobs, but after some time, her alcoholism worsened and it got to the point where it affected her work life. Yeah, I couldn't do the job anymore because I couldn't even, I didn't want to drive anymore because I was so hungover, I was still drunk. And then, and then I couldn't go see the clients anymore and I couldn't trust myself to drive. So I just stopped seeing them and that fell apart because I just handed all back to all my clients back to my boss. Her family relationships were also getting strained and she was living with her youngest daughter at that time. One night, her daughter came home to find Holly passed out on the bathroom floor and she called an ambulance. That's when her daughter decided it was time to move out. She had basically found a place and I came back and Everything was moved out except my bedroom and a chair and a TV. And she left me some kitchen stuff so that she, and she'd come back and clean up. And we, you know, we broke the lease because she found another place and she couldn't live with me anymore. And I didn't blame her. There was no blaming at all. She absolutely could not live with me anymore. And uh, I needed to find my way. She was really worried about where I'd end up. And I was... I don't know why I wasn't worried. I mean, I called up my friend Dawn and she took me in right away. And I knew she would. But um, those last two weeks in the house there, I just drank and smoked and to my heart's content. After moving out, Holly's daughter remained in contact with her. And she's played an instrumental part in lifting Holly from the lowest part of her life. She's a healthcare aide. Uh, She's been in the emergency wards at all the hospitals and stuff through the COVID. And she says, Mom... When I, was, when I was drinking and stuff and she wanted me to get help, she'd go, I see people like you in my emergency room all the time, Mom. Get help. Get help. Well, it took her, the last straw was when, I, when we were falling apart the last time in February, January, February. She called my son in Vancouver, who I'm not talking with and haven't talked with for about four, four or five years. And she called him to talk to me to get help. And he did. And I'm on the phone with him, drunk, but still, Larry, is that really you? Mom, you got to get help. Yes, it's me. I love you, but you have to get help. And that's how the conversation... I was just like in such shock that he was on the phone, caring enough to take the time to see me get, to see me get help. So between my son and my daughter, I went for the help. I remember um, when I was going to detox that morning, I had been finishing off my drinking and I've been drinking through the night and packing. And um, I sat there with my water bottle, with vodka and water, water. If anybody sees, I'm just drinking water. Um, and I had my last gulp there and got in the cab and went to detox. But uh, it, she had to go, she had to move and I had to find my own way. 
and I landed here, thank God. Like, uh, it was a miracle. Like, it really was. Holly's friend told her about Wellspring, Hope Mission's year-long recovery program for women, and Holly decided to give it a shot. So she knew about Wellsprings, and she mentioned it to me, and I go, a year? <laughs> and I went, well, I've lost my home. I've lost my job. <laughs> you know, I've lost, like, where am I going to go? And I went, you know what? I could actually do this. I'll go, I'll, I'll, my, my motto for the longest time was um, um, go with the flow and have faith. And uh, it was Christian-based, and I thought, well, that's okay. I believe in God. So it's been a journey once I got here, but it was just a fluke that I stumbled into somebody who knew about Wellsprings. So I called up, she called up Wellsprings for me, talked to Yen, and Yen called me back a couple hours later. She says, go to detox, tell me you have a bed at Wellsprings, and I'll see you, when you after detox. And she said, call me when you're there. So that's what I did. And they streamlined me right through at, uh, at ARC. And next thing you know, from the phone call on a Wednesday to the following Friday, I was at Wellsprings. Mm -hmm. It was a real God shot, I'll tell you. It was like a miracle. So I decided to go for it and just go with the flow here and trust the staff here. And, and I did. And it's proven over and over again to trust the staff and have faith in the staff. And, and some of the ladies here have been great, you know. There's incoming and outgoing. It fluctuates sometimes. But uh, it's really nice to have, uh, you know, you go for a smoke or something and a coffee and there's always somebody to talk to, right? Mm. You know, so, and the classes have been extremely helpful. You know, I'm 60, I just turned 61 on Monday. And I'm like, okay, I'm 61. Okay, it's time to deal with all this stuff. And, you know, it's, I spent weeks and weeks in tears because I blocked so much out and drank so much away that it took a lot of sobriety for me to, for the fog to clear, to remember the pain and the humiliations and stuff from my childhood. Because I was the firstborn and I was not a boy child. My dad was military and he had this thing that uh, he should have a boy child and the second child was a girl. Yeah, he, yeah, that didn't go over well. One of the things she's learned in the program is to identify the root causes of her pain that were driving her to drink. I had a weight issue long before I had an alcohol issue. And uh, that stems back from my dad worried about me getting overweight and fat like my grandmother's. And he rubbed that in all the time. Well, look what happened, Dad. You should just left me alone. I'd have been fine. But that kind of, you know, I was an impressionable young girl, you know, and he wrecked it. Yeah, and um, he used to count the cookies, and it was just, it was, uh, yeah. I mean, his, um, his specialty in the military was infiltration and interrogation. Try being a teenager with that for a father. It was a lot of psychological stuff. But the breakthrough was in realizing the humiliation was, was is my trigger. Uh, being humiliated is is something that triggers me like that was a breakthrough to find that out I didn't know that about myself then I started thinking of other things through my life and uh being you know different things happening in life and I and I just red faced and so I just turned to the drink you know turned to the alcohol mm. you know and uh realizing about the humiliations was a big surprise and that there was more than one you know, it was, um, 
my dad favored my sister, my younger sister. But we graduated high school together, 1980, and uh, I went up first, and I got my diploma from the base commander or the mayor or whatever, and I went and sat down on the stage, and then my da my sister was called up, and uh, like I got clapped, everybody clapped for me, we clapped for everybody. Anyways, my sister went up, and she got hers, and then my uh, while they're clapping, my dad, uh, they stop clapping, and my dad stands up and goes, that's my daughter, folks. Uh, what about me? I started turning red when I realized that. I was just turning so red in my face. I could feel it. It was so humiliating because everybody knew. But I graduated with a, 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 an accounting diploma, business diploma, and a general diploma. But that didn't get it. But my sister graduating with honors did. Other breakthroughs, um, well, realizing about, uh, like when I said to you that I had the addiction of food before my addiction to alcohol, um, that was a serious breakthrough. And then I started remembering all the times that my dad would uh, say, well, I counted the cookies, so don't have a cookie. Or... Um, Everybody else is having steak or pork chops or whatever, but all I got was lettuce and tomatoes and, and stuff. And I was, you know, like hungry as a teenager. So then I'd steal from my brother's piggy bank to get some, some money to go to the teen center to get something to eat because I was hungry. And, uh, but he would make sure, and, and I didn't like tomatoes. And he had this thing that couldn't understand why he didn't like tomatoes. So he'd make me sit there for hours trying to make me eat a tomato. To this day, I have issues with tomatoes. <laughs> Isn't that no funny? No when they're in the salad, I just push yeah. them out. <laughs> no yeah, I, I've tried to eat them, and it's not as bad as it used to be, but uh, I, I don't put a tomato in front of me, because that was, uh, yeah, he'd sit there. I couldn't understand why I wouldn't eat the tomato. It was a control thing. Mm. And uh, the last time he belted me, um, I was about 15. I don't remember what it was about. And he never laid another hand on me again. Mom had to put her foot down. But uh, that was the last time he ever touched me. And that was, uh, that was very traumatic. You know, looking back and, and bringing up the pain, this is a place where they want you to cry. This is a place where they want you to remember so that when you go back out again, you're not going back out. You're not drinking anymore or doing your drugs. And because that's what you're doing is when you're drinking and, uh, you know, you're stifling it all, all that pain. So I don't feel the pain so much anymore, which is good. And I don't know how I'll feel when I, I mean, there's a transition part of the program and then I'll go to sober living after that because I'm not going to go and just think I can do it on my own. I spent 40 years drinking, progressively drinking. There's no way I can just fix this in, in a year. You know, it's gonna take a while. And they're very supportive here on, and very helpful and knowledgeable. And the staff here have been um, second to none. They've been absolutely available at any time. And it's been, when things pop up, 
and I need to share, then I can go to my case manager at any time when she's around. And if not, you know, there's a couple of ladies that I've, that we confide in and are friends with. And that's been extremely helpful actually to work things out. And you really just listen and apply it. I'm very eager to not do this again. I'm very eager to live a sober life. But you know what? It's one day at a time. I can't promise tomorrow. There's just no way. I can't. There's just no way. And that's, um, that's what I have to live with for the rest of my life. At least for today. <laughs> However that goes, right? <laughs> Connecting with God and growing her faith have been an important part of Holly's journey. She recalls the first time she felt God's grace. Well, I, I remember it just sort of happened, and, and I'm tearing up right now just thinking about it because it was just a, a wonderful thing, yeah. So uh, I've had faith all my life, but uh, not the same as I, the reality that I'm feeling right now, that I'm learning about right now, which, has been, which is going to be very important for the rest of my life, actually. It's a very profound moment when you open your heart and you receive, you're open enough to receive God's grace. And from that moment on, I'm able to, because I've received God's grace, I'm able to give grace so much more easier. Some, some moments are a little harder than others. I have to work on a little bit, roommate issues or something, but uh, okay, okay, count to 10, then I go. And still to this day, I can just sit there and just relive the moment because it was just so wonderful, you know, and uh, it'll stay with me for the rest of my life. That experience continues to inspire Holly in her journey of recovery, even as she runs into challenges. The biggest difference is trusting my case manager. When there were issues, she says, trust us. We know what we're doing. Okay, I'm gonna trust you. And I did, and it worked out. So those were trust issues were of course big and you know came here all I wanted was isolation before you're not going to be isolated here mm. you know there's only so long much longer you can spend by yourself around here so it's um that was a big factor for learning to get along with people but factors um the classes the courses that we're taking I didn't understand really about codependency uh as much as I learned and, uh, you know, there was like a couple of months there, codependency, it all, and boundaries. Oh my God, boundaries. I didn't know how to set a boundary anymore. I don't even know if I ever did, but boundaries were a big issue. And I didn't know how to speak up with a roommate and express, you know, that I don't, you know, I like to pull the blinds up at eight o'clock, you know, have the morning sunshine in and... She likes to have a dark all day long and, you know, we've had to work things out, you know. So learning to compromise and I've learned a lot of lessons about boundaries, you know, boundaries, abuse and abandonment, um, you know, codependency. Those are the big three in, uh, in phase two mm -hmm. and, uh, or no, phase one, phase, yeah, phase one. Phase two, I've just got two classes and I'm almost done them and I should be graduating actually to phase three. Uh, pretty soon here. So it depends on how much I can catch up on my homework. <laughs> Holly finds strength in focusing on the good memories of her childhood, her family, and her kids. A spread of photos on her wall motivates her to keep going when she's feeling down. 
Yeah, and I have a little collage going on here. Right. Yeah, and I, I firmly believe that, um, like, I brought all this stuff here from home. And, but if I, if I filled my, my home here and made it a home with pictures that mean something to me and my family and stuff, that's my lamp I brought from home, that's my bedding mm -hmm. from home, that I would be more, uh, less likely to want to leave. Because it's a one-year program, so I feel, figure, and I tell the other girls too: get pictures, whatever, hang them up, you know, and and make it a home for yourself, you know. Uh, that way, you're you're less likely to relapse mm. if you're more attached to things here, and that way you can concentrate and focus on your stability and, yeah. and sobriety. I think it's important. I look up there and see my mom. Mm -hmm. uh, there's my, even my father up there, my mother, her parents, his parents. My kids, my siblings, my nieces and nephews, because there were good times, and I want to remember those, and and get rid of the bad memories. You know, let them let those go. I figure it's easier to let the bad memories go, and and uh, fill it when you fill it with good memories. So there, there's times I look there and I see my dad, and I'm going, oh. But you know, there's a picture of me and dad there when he was holding me as a baby, black and white looking all cute and everything, and he's 20 years old, 21, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I'm trying to find the positive things, right? It helps ground me, because mm -hmm. I sit there in my bed and, you know, watch something or whatever, but I look up and I see my kids. And, you know, my ex-husband and I, you know, we didn't work out, but he was still a good guy. You know, um, we were too young. So people will say, like my manager says, you sure you want him up there to go? Those were good times up in Cold Lake. As Holly continues on her journey of recovery, she's gradually working on rebuilding her relationships with her kids. My two older kids, the alcohol, being raised by an alcoholic mother, their father just passed away about three years ago of alcoholism, my ex-husband. So I thought that for sure they'd reach out to me, but they didn't. So I've been trying to reach out to them. I got some contact with my son. So God is working in mysterious ways there, maybe. I'm hopeful. I'm my youngest. She went through the ringer with me, and she saw the good, the bad, and the ugly of my progressive alcoholism. And I put it, she still stands by me. And, you know, it's really, she's so glad that I'm sober and that she can count on me to call me now. You know, she's just having a breakup or something, and I'm helping her through that, and I'm not drinking. And that's a big difference. You know, when you're not drinking and foggy and hungover and, you know, and, and stuff. And, and it's um, trying to hide it all, spending so many, so much energy and time trying to hide my drinking from her. So the, the, all of that and all the drinking and everything uh, for the years and, and grow, I mean, I raised her as well. Um, it takes its toll. We should have actually parted earlier, but uh, became a little bit codependent, but... Um, so she's got a beautiful place and a good job, and, and she's doing very well right now. She's learning to trust me more. And that's not easy to do, to, to trust, when you still have a vision in your brain of how bad your mother got. You know, walking in the bathroom and finding me on the floor and not knowing what to do, calling the ambulance. Because I think I'm trustworthy, but wait a sec here, it's not about me, it's about her trusting me so she's trusting me only so far which is fine it's only been nine months 
you know, I'm in my 10th month right now. Okay. So that's a drop in the bucket, right? From years of alcoholism. So um, I have to prove myself a little bit more, become independent, you know, get my own place from here, transition, stay sober. So I come here and there's no more lies. There's nothing. Ask me anything. My daughter's asking me questions now because I'm sober and not telling any more lies. Oh, my God. She goes, you know, just saying, did you really smoke in the bathroom, Mom? Yes, I did. That was me. I lied about it, though. You know, so she she goes, okay, okay. And then in a few weeks later, it's something else. You know, I go, yeah, that, and there's there's more, and I'll tell you when you want to, you know. Just being open and honest. Holly knows that recovery and rebuilding trust takes time and effort, but she's so grateful that she discovered hope. Well, I look actually forward to um, just having my own place again and um, taking what I've learned here in, st in stabilizing myself. Like the rules, there's rules here. And they're good rules. And they're rules for a reason. And it's like I tell all the new girls when they come in, follow the rules and do your homework. And the rest will fall into place. That's the two things to do. And um, I want to take what I've learned here uh, in, in stabilizing myself and maintain that. Because in real life, you have to be able to survive. And, and you got to know what you want. And you can't just go coasting through life like I was. Just coasting, whatever happened, I'd be reactionary. Now I've got to be more proactive in my own self. And, you know, I'm learning to do that. And, uh, you know, I could easily get a job anytime I used to be able to. And maybe I still could. I, I still have a passion for the legal system. Holly says if it weren't for Hope Mission, she likely would have ended up homeless. My addiction, I'd have been drinking at my friend's place, and I'm sure that would have wore itself out because of the addiction. It would be only a matter of time, whether it was, you know, I don't think it would have been six months. Where would I have gone? Um, well, I'd have probably been in my car for as long as I could, I suppose. Um, I could have ended up on the streets. Yeah, my, like I said, my girlfriends might have taken me in, but I probably wouldn't have told them how bad things were. I would rather live in my car and on the streets than give up my pride, and pride go before the fall, but um, without Wellsprings, I'd have probably been on the streets. Well, Holly has come a long way from her darkest days, she recognizes there's still a lot of work for her to do, but with the help that she's received so far, she has hope. So I was just saying yesterday, it's a journey, but it's so cliche because it's true. You don't have to be an, addict, an addict to have a journey, but uh, you know, we're all, we all have a path to follow and hopefully we make the right, this place helps you get in the right direction with supports. That's what your gift provides. It gives someone like Holly the help, the support, the hope to take their first steps in a new direction. As Holly shared, she just turned 61, and she's looking forward to a brighter future, one of sobriety and stability, of renewed relationship with the most important people in her life. And you can provide that hope for someone today by going to hopemission.com. 
For just $27 a month, you can become a Hearts of Hope donor and provide monthly meals, care, and programs to vulnerable people in need. We've relaunched Hope Stories, so please give the podcast a rating and a review and tell your friends. The truth is, these Hope Stories are your stories. They are truly not possible without your support. Thank you for your care and compassion for providing hope to men and women, children and youth, families and communities across Alberta. I'm Brenton Dreger. Thanks for listening to Hope Stories.